where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello, and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a cheers podcast. I'm James. And I'm John. Today we're talking about episode four of season four, The Groom War Clearasil. I like the title. It's a good title. It's clever. It's intriguing. It makes you think. Mm. This episode aired on the 24th of October, 1985. Um, and it was written by Peter Casey and David Lee. And who was it directed by, James? Mr. Burroughs, I believe. James Burroughs, Jimmy B. We haven't said Jimmy B for a while. I'll tell you, this season is the season with all the references. What's the word I'm looking for? Throwbacks, that's the word. <laughs> yeah, this is the season where we're going to all the callbacks. It's going to be great. I'm trying to think, snack on those facts. We haven't said that for a bit. That's a good one. In line with that, we get to hear about some of Carla's kids in this episode, which we haven't heard about in a while. That's a callback. And we get to meet one of them. But before... We delve into that. Shall we talk about the cold open? Yes, we certainly can, James. And it's one I like—a woody sort of central one. And he's got a letter. He's made a mark quite quickly, has young Woodrow. And he's got a letter from his dog. It does indeed. It's like when you're a child and you left little uh, inscriptions for Santa Claus and maybe a tasty cake. And then in the morning there'd be a reply going, "That was a nice cake. That brandy that went with it was even nicer." And you're just going, I didn't leave out Brandy. Much like that. An imaginary letter. It's written by his mum. You know, I quite enjoyed it, but I mean, I don't want to go off the bat with some negatives here, James. But not enough puns. Distinct lack of puns. Life's rough. That would have been good. Oh, that would have been a good one. Maybe something like he was barking up the wrong tree. I can't think of any others. But his dog's got good handwriting. He does have good handwriting, and it's because of those convenient thumbs that Woody's mum has. (laughs) Dear Woody... Boy, what a great day I had. I pulled all the laundry off the line, chewed up your father's bowling shoes, and grabbed a Yankee pot roast off the table. Yum, yum. (laughs) Isn't that cute? Buddy, it's better than I do. (laughs) By the way, now that you're not here to keep me in line, your mother's thinking about putting me to sleep. I certainly wouldn't blame her, and I don't want you to either after I'm gone. Sam, cover me. I gotta make a phone call. So it turns out that since Woody's left to Boston, the dog's been misbehaving more because Woody's not been there to discipline him, keeping him in line. But basically, maybe the dog's upset because Woody's gone uh, and the mum is saying that the dog's going to be put down, which again, it's cheers going. Remember that lovely bar where everybody knows your name? Well, in this cold open, we're going to make things very sad. And it's not the first time this has happened. It happened in the first episode of this season where it's like, hey, Sam's back. I wonder what happened to him. Well, he was sold into slavery for one. Okay, then. Right. Yeah, the cold openings are just misery now, aren't they? I wonder if we'll ever hear the outcome of this dog later on in the series. The main part of this episode focuses around Carla and her sort of disapprovingness of her son. Yes, that's correct, because young Anthony, Anthony, I've heard it both ways, he's got himself a girlfriend and he's quite infatuated with this young girl. And Carla's like, hey, Sam, you're a man around the town. Tell him to calm down, basically. Get off the phone. Stop spending so much time with her. I don't know. It's telling him to calm down. It's telling him to, I don't know. It's a bit of a weird one. Yeah, Carla's like, I dislike the fact that my son is so committed to his girlfriend. Do you think he's too young to be too serious? That could well be it, because he's 16. 
Carla tries to get Sam to kind of show him what the single life is like and things like this. And Norm's there to talk about marriage and married life. And I'll tell you what, neither of them seem great. Sam's like, you know, I'm a single guy. I can do what I want. And Anthony, quite nice. He was like, he's got no one to come home to. Nobody to care about it. And no reason to even get up in the morning. Come on, Sam. Jeez. And then Norm's like, yeah, but I, I have someone to go home to. That's why I'm here. What I quite liked about this episode, though, and I'm sure we'll get into it more later on, I like how it doesn't glamorise Sam's life. Yeah, that is an interesting aspect, because particularly in season one, it did glamorise Sam's lifestyle. The little black book. We even talked about it before, how his little black book was almost like uh, Indiana Jones and the Ark of the Covenant, where it like, melts people's faces off, because they're like in awe of it. But in this, it's like, it, it's very sleazy. Anthony just sees straight through it, and kind of sees it for... Uh, what it is, which is kind of a desperation kind of thing. A roller decks of desperation. It de-glamorizes what was glamorized in series one, which I liked. It was an interesting subversion of it, yes. I don't know if this was due to like backlash of, of younger audiences watching Cheers and seeing that, and that's why they brought in a younger figure to come and go against it a little bit. Perhaps. Perhaps they could have done that. I also think that sooner or later we would have seen Anthony appearing because we knew he was Carla's oldest child. We knew she became pregnant with him when she herself was a teenager. And I think sooner or later we would have seen someone come in and playing that character. And I think four seasons in, we would have got the idea that he himself would have been a similar age to what Carla was when she met Nick. Mm. So it's an interesting parallel. I don't think they could have held it off for two much longer because in season three she was already talking about Anthony as though he was independent and going out by himself with his friends and everything. So yeah, over the next few years we would have certainly seen him growing up. And you mentioned that, that this episode is full of callbacks. We do get a callback to Nick as well in this episode. We do indeed. I like how much Anthony and Nick have in common in terms of behavioural traits and speech patterns. That was a really nice touch. Mm-hmm. But I also liked how him and his mum seemed to have quite a good synchronised respect for Nick in the way where she's like... You only need one parent's permission. Oh, forget him. My father's a bum. Hey, don't you talk about your father that way. Okay. He's a sleazy bum. That's better. <laughs> and I like how they're kind of on the same wavelength there. They both know of Nick's history and personality and things, and I assume Anthony and Nick still talk to each other, but Carla makes a quote at one point, which is, you know Nick's idea of fatherhood, the egg splits, so does he. Quick-witted Carla there. How many times do you think she said that? Ooh, I think she said it many times, John. I think it's one of her catchphrases <laughs> with her girlfriends, gal pals. <laughs> the St. Cleet's girls. Yeah, that's it. That's the main plot of this episode. There are a lot of other plots in this. There's the Diane plot and the Cliff plot, both of which are really quite short. Yeah. The cliff one, I quite often had to go, am I seeing this correctly? Is this is this what's happening? <laughs> well, we should talk about that then. Cliff has a, I guess, a hobby for the week. What do you call it a hobby? Special interest. <laughs> I don't know what we'd call it. It's... Breakdown? Well, he's taken up gardening. We could say that for sure. From there, it's anyone's guess. Yeah, he's got a potato. Yes, a potato in the shape of Richard Nixon, apparently. Well, yeah, I was going to say, whether it is or not, I'm not sure. But he tends to think it is. I liked Carla's response from when he uh, showed her the potato. He said, it looks exactly like Nixon. And she said, come back when you found one that doesn't. <laughs> oh, take that, Nixon. And Cliff does an impression as well. I am not a crook. <laughs> Sorry, it still doesn't look like Nixon. Sure sounds like him, though. 
He thinks it's a really good discovery. And Norm has to take him aside and be like, this is too weird. You've gone too far this time. You've gone close encounters crazy, Cliff. Cliff rings the local, or is it a national newspaper? And he's like, what do you mean this isn't newsworthy? Do you know what? It's not really that funny though, James, is it? Because it's clearly a cry for help. So what has happened to, in Cliff's life to make him think of potatoes Nixon? He's been banned from Florida. I think he's had to return all of the light bulbs, the shower curtains, the towels. He's probably had to return all of them. And he's trying to make money off of... Famous potato. Do you know what I would have liked if Cliff was convinced he had invented the potato head? Yeah, which obviously would tie into his uh, future film role in Toy Story, where he plays Ham, but there is Mr. Potato Head. Yeah, I think that would have been good. He does kind of do a potato head, though, but without the head. Takes a Ken doll and puts a potato on it. Genius. But that's when it goes too far. That's when Norm has to intervene. Like I said, something's probably gone deeply wrong and he needed to be reined in. I'm surprised that... Frasier's not in this episode to diagnose Cliff, but good news is he's moved on. He's no longer the janitor, I assume. You never know. He might return. But that brings us on to, in terms of new jobs, that brings us on to Diane. Diane, even though she's just returned back to Cheers to take a job, is now looking for another job and Sam's pretty chill about it. She gets away with, (laughs) not quite murder, but she gets away with all kinds of nonsense, does Diane. (laughs) Anyway, as you said, she's she's looking for another job, even though she's just started this job, but she wants to be a TA again. Because that went so well last time. <laughs> so she wants to return as a teaching assistant, and she's got an interview with a professor. And they reference Sumner, Sumner Sloan. He's it's back. How's that for a throwback? Yeah. I'll tell you what, people who, if this is their first episode, they're just going, what's going on? Who's Sumner? Who's Nick? Don't start at season four, episode four then. <laughs> The ship sailed, James. But as you said, she she had an interview and it went all well. It was a good interview. And then the the professor interviewing goes, uh, oh, I I just wanted to say congratulations, you're doing really well. I've got to interview a couple more people, but I've got good recommendations from Sumner. And that's when, like, Diane gets a bit anxious. Yeah. She's going, what exactly did this Mr. Sloan say? Hmm? Like a revolving door. She keeps coming back through. A revolving door of embarrassment. Yeah, it just gets worse and worse, really. He gave you very high marks. Oh. <laughs> well, goodbye. <laughs> high marks? What exactly did you mean by that? Well, among other things, that you have an unbridled enthusiasm. Ah. I see. Goodbye. I'm a little unclear on enthusiasm. Well, enthusiasm. That you don't mind taking on extra duties and working overtime if necessary. Of course that's what he meant. What else could he mean? (laughs) Goodbye. I will not sleep with you. And uh, I think it's safe to say Diane probably won't get the job. She tried, though. Interestingly, it's at Hamilton College is where she's being interviewed. She's just like Sammy. She's young, hungry and scamming and she's not throwing away her shot. Except she does, Don. Do you call me Don? (laughs) (laughs) I got every word right except your name. So close. You're right, though. She's not throwing away her shot. She does. She messes that up and we would assume... She doesn't get the job. So yeah, that storyline's done. Which brings us back into the main part of the episode, James. Is this a good point to uh, have a rundown of the cast, James? Because I know there's a couple of guests in this one. It is. We've got Timothy Williams as Anthony Totelli, 
He also appeared in Cagney and Lacey, Brothers, Murder, She Wrote, Saved by the Bell, Doogie Howser, MD, among many others. We've got Mandy Ingber as Annie. She also appeared in Charles in Charge, The Wonder Years, and Caroline in the City, among many others. In addition to being an actress, she is also a yoga instructor and a New York Times bestselling author. Now she plays Anthony's girlfriend, Annie. But that's not all we see in this family, is there? We also see Sherilyn Fenn as Gabrielle, who is Annie's cousin. She also appeared in Wild at Heart, Of Mice and Men, Friends, Dawson's Creek, NCIS, Boston Public, Gilmore Girls, House, CSI, Ray Donovan and Shameless among many others. But where did you recognise her from? Um, Cheers. She's also Audrey Horn in Twin Peaks. Oh, is she? She is indeed. Oh, I didn't recognise her from Twin Peaks. And there's one other guest, the professor, right? Yep, there's Al Rosen as Al, John Ingle as Professor Moffat. He also appeared in Dallas, Family Ties, Fame, Brothers, Heathers, Coach, Robocop 2, Night Court, Dear John, Doogie Howser MD, Batman and Robin, Boy Meets World, Days of Our Lives, Parks and Rec, and General Hospital. Among many others. Among many, many others. I named just a few there. He is also the narrator of the Land Before Time movies. Craig Berenson as Customer. He also appeared in both Airplane and Airplane 2, Three Amigos, Nuts Landing, and Freddy's Nightmare, among others. Ken Domain is uncredited as Customer. This is his fifth appearance in Cheers, John. Can you believe that? And and still uncredited. And still uncredited. He has always been uncredited but his first appearance was all the way back in Sam at 11. He's still called nothing. Not even Ken. He's just there. I think he just shows up. <laughs> He's hoping to, you know, be upgraded in much the way Al was. He's thinking, if I show up enough times, they'll have to give me a name. Do you know, speaking of Al, he has a good line in this. The phone calls in. Cheers. Just a minute. Uh, who are you looking for? Some girl wants to talk to the outlaw of love. She tracked me down. It kind of brings us back into the A plot of this, where Sam takes Anthony out on the town and he takes them back to Cheers. And Anthony's been calling Annie all the way through the night. And uh, she calls at Cheers to talk to Anthony. Al tries to get in on the phone call. Sam in the end says he's fine, puts the phone down, pours Anthony a root beer and they have a chat. All this chat proves is that Anthony's fully committed to Annie and he proposes to her. What? What? Exactly. Of course, with their age being only only 16, they need parents' permission to get married, don't they? Mm. In the UK, now this is an interesting historical fact which you may know of, the legal age to get married in Scotland was 16, like without parents' permission, but in England it was 18, which meant a lot of teenagers commuted to Scotland to get married without their parents' permission. I think it's eloped, not commuted. (laughs) That is the correct word. A romantic commute. I didn't know that, though. It's quite nice. There's this place called Gretna Green, which is just past the border, become quite a popular wedding spot because of its historical significance. And Leo Sayer wrote a song called Moonlighting, which was about a couple fleeing, taking the romantic commute to Gretna. The romantic commute isn't going to be a saying. It is. It is on my watch. Well, it's not like this in Boston. And Anthony needs to get his mother's permission. So him and Annie arrive at Cheers with like a consent form in hand. Carla scrunches up. That's my new signature. How do you like that? And then he says, fine, if I have to, I'll go to my dad. And then Carla's like, I'll make you a deal. If you don't see each other for two weeks and you still want to get married, I'll sign you a piece of paper. They go, challenge accepted. What could go wrong? It does a time jump, doesn't it? Yeah. 
Carla's understanding is if he doesn't see Annie for two weeks, he'll meet someone else. Uh, in her words, his eyes will wander and his slimy body will follow. But after two weeks, he still wants to marry her. And they're waiting in cheers. Annie returns. They still won't get married. Anthony had a cunning plan to get around this, didn't he? He basically self-isolated in his room for two weeks. Was his plan and it worked. Until the last second. Yeah, which is when Gabrielle shows up. Carla signs the paper, hands it over, and then as you say, Gabrielle shows up. And Anthony's like, well, who is that? Does she need help with her car or anything? And let's be honest, Anthony is flirting with Gabrielle. One of the ways that he tries to flirt with her is that he learns from Sam that one of his sexual exploits with one of his former lovers was that they had hot fudge sundaes for breakfast. And I think that sounds amazing. If I went on a romantic commute with someone and then we had hot fudge sundaes for breakfast. Oh, dream weekend. This is a line that Anthony uses for Gabrielle as he's taking her to help her find the spot for her car, I believe. He goes, hey, you ever had hot fudge sundaes for breakfast? And I'm just going, go, Anthony. What are you like? But after these exchanges, he runs off and follows Gabrielle. And then there's a really nice sort of exchange between Annie and Carla, which makes you realise they're pretty similar as well. I think Carla says, you're not bad for a loser. And Annie replies, you're not bad yourself or something. Yes, same to you, Mrs. T. And I'm thinking, Mrs. T, new catchphrase. That's the trivia bell, James. And that means one thing. Questions. Would you like to fire away first? Yeah. What's the name of Woody's dog? Truman. Truman it is. Staying on track with the dog, uh, what what did he eat? He, he mentioned some stuff he's been up to in the in his letter. What, what's he been up to? Turkey pot pie. It's a very American. A Yankee pot roast. He also um, chewed up some laundry and some bowling shoes. Delicious feast. Yep. Norm says that the dog eats better than he does. According to Sam, when are the two times a man uses the word love? Oh, I don't know. First one was quite clever. Tennis. Ah. Uh, the second, when he's already paid for the room. And then Sam gives a cheeky wink and says, know what I mean? Sleazy. Sleazy with a capital sleaze. Staying on topic with this question, Sam mentions two names out of his little black book. Who does he mention? I'm going to say one of them's Candy. Yep. And a Beth. Not the same Beth, not Woody's Beth. No, no, diff- different Beth. One about the Tortelli men. What are the three things that one can say about Tortelli men, according to Carla? They are hairy. I mean, it's true. It wasn't on her list. <laughs> they are sleazy. That's implied. Last name's Tortelli. <laughs> no, I don't know, Jims. One, they draw women like flies. Two, they treat women like flies. Three, their brains are in their flies. Pretty good. She's got an obsession with flies, though. We had a, a bit about Potato Nixon. What did Woody find so funny about the Potato Nixon model that Cliff had put together? The colour of the tie. Are you close? It's the tie jacket combo. A blue suit with a brown tie. Cliff had to sort of defend there's a limited range of Kendall clothing. It's true. Well, no, it's not. If you've seen Toy Story 3, you know there's a lot of different outfits in there. I wanted a Spaceman Nixon. No, but I want that to be a recipe. Potato Nixon. I don't. <laughs> I'm not a cook. Last drinks at the bar. What, what, we, we haven't mentioned any. Actually, we have mentioned some drinks. I was going to say we might have uh, Anthony's and Annie's favourite, a good old root beer. Ooh, well, that is nice. I do like a root beer. Hmm. They, they put a lot of sugar in it as well. It's very sweet, unlike a potato Nixon. 
<laughs> yeah, we're not updated, Nixon. So what, what should we toast to, James? There's been a lot of presidents we've referenced in this episode. Truman, Nixon, Hamilton wasn't a president, but he was a founding father. I think what we can say about this episode is that it's shown us a lot about American traditions and a lot about young love in America. And It's also the episode you've called me Don. I'll cheers to that. Don. I meant like as a boss. <laughs> What should we say, James? Thank you for listening to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. This has been a Cheers podcast. Mm-hmm.